You're listening to the Degrees of Freedom podcast. Conversations about higher education in the 21st century between students and teachers. Produced at the University of Groningen. Welcome to another episode of Degrees of Freedom. I'm really excited about this one. I'm always excited about the episodes of Degrees of Freedom, but I'm particularly excited about this one. It's on a topic that uh, I find very interesting. And we have uh, two lovely and very interesting new guests today. But um, I'll say hello to my co-host. Hello, Colm. How are you? Hello, Tassos. I'm doing well. Uh, I'm also excited for this episode. It's our first episode since the Teacher of the Year episode that we were having four guests or four of us in the studio. So it will, I think, make for a nice uh, discussion. And we all have a bit of experience, I guess, um, with the topic of today, which is project-based learning. And you two, obviously, I think will be able to inform us a bit more than us, but we, we do have our own personal experiences, which will make for a nice discussion, I think. Yeah, we all bring something a little bit different and I'm excited to see what um, what this interaction brings. But let's introduce our guests. We have uh, Maria Ioannou here today and Ferdinand Lewis, both from the University College Groningen and both residents of Groningen for over five years, I understand. Uh-huh, that's right. Yeah. Very good. Welcome, both of you. We'll start by talking a little bit about the, the, the distinguishing characteristic of education at the University College Groningen and the fact that it's so, um, so much based on projects, on the creation of projects, the um, development of different products in these projects. And uh, maybe you can first tell us a little bit what you teach at the University College and um, how you find this project-based learning approach before we introduce the topic further. Maria, would you like to start? Sure. So thanks for having us. First of all, it's very nice to be here. And it's very nice to be here with Ferdinand, whom I refer to as uh, the project's guru, <laughs> because I learned projects from you, Ferdinand. So you'll have to talk Aww. more than me today. Uh, so what do I teach at the university college? I teach, well, I'm a psychologist, uh, like you, Tassos, uh, by training, but I teach... Uh, <laughs> not just psychology courses at UCG. So I teach social psychology, which is the closest to psychology that I teach. I teach decision-making. I teach uh, uh, challenges of modern society slash climate change. And I teach many projects as well, but then we'll talk about projects uh, in a bit, I guess. I hope, ah, I also teach a course that is called Love. Yes, I remember talking to you about this course. Maybe this is going to be another episode that uh, we record on this because it's an interesting topic unto itself. Yeah, it's funny I forgot about that because it's a very popular course and a course I love, actually. Uh, My name is Ferdinand Lewis. I'm on the faculty at University College Groningen with Maria. Um, I was, uh, for the first few years here, um, uh, I helped to develop and coordinate the project line at University College. Uh, My background was first of all in the arts and um, I have an MFA in theater and interdisciplinary arts. And my doctorate is in urban and regional planning, which is essentially, you know, using social science methods. So I'm somewhere between the arts and social sciences. Um, I have always worked in uh, project format when I was um, in 
when I was an artist, when I was teaching artists, uh, and uh, also working at universities, teaching urban and regional planning. Uh, I always work in project formats. I'm working with uh, designers, urban designers, architects, planners, all, we all work in project format. Mm -hmm. And then UCG, which is unique. Even yeah. amongst project people, it's unique. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what really uh, defines and identifies this project approach to learning and also how the UC has developed this. Um, Maria called you the project guru. You talked about <laughs> developing the project line. <laughs> you both pleasure. have um, many years of experience running projects. Maybe you can tell us more about um, how you see the um, this kind of um, approach to learning and teaching. Uh, would it be safe to s maybe answer um, what is a project? Is that sort of? Please. Yeah. That sounds Sh good. Shall what? we perhaps first start with uh, what is project-based learning in UCG and then talk more about what what is a project, which okay. is more relevant? Yeah. Uh, so I, I something that makes UCG unique also uh, when compared to other liberal, liberal arts and sciences colleges is that um, so students have projects in all years of study. So year one project, year two project and year three project and projects, uh, project based learning is not uh, optional. It's mandatory and it's a whole learning line. So there are three pillars, three learning lines in UCG. One is called, uh, you know, it's basic skills, uh, academic skills. The second one is courses as you have them in any other faculty. And then you have project-based learning where skills and knowledge come together, basically, right? So in year one, um, it's mostly the teachers providing the topic to students and uh, the, the most important learning goals to hit uh, revolve around communication and, uh, you know, project coordination, collaboration. In year two, it's more about research uh, and they get more freedom to actually choose uh, their topic. And in year three, they are entirely free to choose their project and to choose who they collaborate with for that project. Uh, so different learning outcomes in different years. And finally, a thing like the red thread in all projects would be interdisciplinarity or an aspiration to, to work inter interdisciplinarily. So this is how projects um, work, let's say, in at, UCG. At UCG, yeah. uh, interdisciplinarity is a UCG thing. I would mm -hmm. think of that actually, though, Maria, as a separate thing that happens to play out in projects because projects can be can be monodisciplinary. Sure. Yeah. Um, and before I, uh, I mean, I've been in plenty of projects that were just about one topic um, and had one, uh, everyone, all the teachers and all the students were focused on the exact same subject, same mm -hmm. discipline, same research methods. Um, but it is, uh, it, but projects are a great place to be interdisciplinary yeah. Because every project, in a sense, is a case study, and a case study is um, opens up the possibility of using multiple approaches, uh, different forms of um, uh, uh, different research um, uh, and literature, uh, bringing in people from different backgrounds. Because you're making stuff, right? Mm -hmm. You're making things, and um, and uh, and working out how to do that, and that makes working in an interdisciplinary way 
um, much more, uh, I wouldn't say simpler, but more effective than here I am as an academic in planning and here's Tassos as an academic in psychology and I'll say, let's sit across this table from each other and write a paper. We're, we're interacting in our heads, you know, or on paper, which is fine and that, that can work. But if we're making something together, I think uh, we tend to um, let down our defenses more easily because yeah. we need each other more. Yeah. And right? we are getting at a definition of projects now, right? I, th I think making I, I something. I think so. Yeah. You yeah, yeah. That I think, and collaboration is the other thing. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe interdisciplinarity is a UCG thing once again because uh, students from many different disciplines come together in a project. So it's very rare to have a project only for students who are interested in psychology. You will, you will have a mixture of students. So, but even if interdisciplinarity is unique in the, in the case of the UCG, you would say that a diversity of approaches and a diversity of perspectives is not so unique to project. It is, is inherent in all projects. Is that fair to say? No, not necessarily. Okay. I mean, you can work with people from the dental school and everybody's from dentistry and all the instructors are from dentistry and you think about dentistry and use dental methods, you know, whatever. Yes, but um, you still have a collaboration of people. And I think even if we get five dentists in a room, they, they're likely to have different values, different upbringing. Uh, so it is actually... I think when you bring people together, then you introduce diversity, differences. But projects so. themselves don't bring in the diversity. It, it's sort of a byproduct of the fact that you have a multitude of people uh, in this case. I guess not all projects need to be approached from a, um, a multitude you're, you're of right. perspectives. You're right. Okay. So you either capitalize on it or you hash it. Okay. Uh, but... If you bring a variety of people, you have differences. Whether you're turning it into good diversity that you capitalize on is, is a different study. Maybe we'll come back to the, the differences a little bit later when we talk about communication as one of the necessary skills in being successful in a, in a project. And maybe we can tease you back a little bit more into telling us more concretely how you see the definition of what a project is, yeah. how this is distinguished from writing a collaborative paper together or um, doing something different in an academic setting? Project-based learning is, um, as the American uh, philosopher uh, Dewey uh, would have said, um, it's continuous with experience. So it's a way of learning that uh, begins with what the student already knows. A student arrives at UCG after living for 18 years, they are 18 years in to learning how the world works and there's expertise already. People know how the world works at 18 and there's a certain amount of responsibility that goes with that. If you say, okay, we're going to make something together and we're going to take what you already know and learn some new stuff and work together and reach this point in the distance, you know, in 16 weeks or in eight weeks where we agree, okay, we, we've arrived at a new thing. We couldn't have gotten there if we didn't learn something. And we couldn't have gotten there if we didn't bring what we already knew with us. So on a philosophical level, I would say it's experience-based. 
that's a, a very particular way of learning. It's pragmatic, so that in the sense of uh, the difference between pragmatic and practical, does a project always need to make a prototype for the next solar car? That, that's a fine outcome. That's a fine deliverable, but you don't have to. You can come up with an idea because ideas are practical. That is, I think, for me, what projects teach us, that when, um, when, in our case, when 15 students work together and they bring all those differences together working on a problem and they come up with a kind of real-world recommendation, um, something happens there that, is, that we, we couldn't arrive at in a lecture format. You know, we wouldn't even take it up if we were just giving lectures. Maria, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think we we go back to because you said, you know, uh, people come in with knowledge. Right. And I think this is where differences are already introduced. So in a project, you need to make space for these um, very different knowledges, let's say, to be heard. I see you what know? you mean. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. Uh, I see what because you mean. if you start by saying, okay, this is our starting point and this is the language we're going to be talking, uh, we were going to be using and uh -huh. this is our question, then you lose all that prior knowledge, which I called difference. But yeah. Yeah, there is an inductive quality to the first part of any project where you're finding out what the framework is. Hmm. You can bring it in, but not, it doesn't always work that way. It's, it's important to say, who are we working with? You know, yeah. how do you feel about the subject we've given you to work on? Yeah, even practically speaking, if you think about roles, you know, typically in group work, at the end of the day, students will have to assume different roles. So even that depends on prior experiences. So there are people who are already comfortable leading. There are people who are already comfortable, you know, thinking out of the box and stuff like that. So I think this, those initial discussions, uh, so those differences are very important. Yeah. A project always has certain things. It always has a deliverable. It has an end date. So we have to finish and deliver something by a certain end date. Um, people have to collaborate in small teams. That team can be two people and occasionally people work alone on something. There tends to be no lectures. Occasionally, I'll, I teach a, a project uh, called Arts and Health, which is one of my areas of expertise. Um, and I'll do workshops where I'm introducing the concept of arts and health. Here is how this is done. Let's practice this so that people can learn it. And I'll introduce the literature and there might even be a slide or two. But it ain't a lecture. It's about getting ready to make stuff and do stuff. Find out stuff, research stuff. Mm. Yeah. Look up stuff. Yeah. Do you you know what I mean? That um, sometimes you have to kind of present something. Yeah. But it's not not quite a lecture. It's minimal input. Yeah. Yeah. I th I think uh, I really like the direction that you took it to kind of describe uh, one of your courses is arts and health, and I think it. One thing that might be occurring to me is that this might be for both teachers and students at our university it still might be a very vague concept. So I think I would, I would really like to hear from you guys perhaps some 
recent examples of projects that you, you, you concrete projects that you gave out, or maybe even uh, your most memorable experiences working in project-based learning? Perhaps we can start with you, Maria. That's a good question, yeah. yeah. And maybe some examples of deliverables. I like that you define certain characteristics, the end date, etc., but specifically the deliverable. deliverables. How yeah. do you define the deliverable mm-hmm. to your um, to your group? How do they define the deliverable yeah. amongst themselves? And how do they build a, an understanding of uh, standards and what is sufficient and what is good quality and yeah. what is the right shape and format and mm-hmm. size? Yeah. Okay, let's uh, let's start. Uh, so um, let me give you an example from uh, each year. Maybe that uh, that's going to be useful. So um, a project that I teach in year one for a, a number of years now revolves around uh, stories and more specifically children's literature. So when I started off, the question was, okay, we have so many stories out there for children, but there are certain groups, for example, certain races that have traditionally been either not present or misrepresented in children's literature. So we have a problem. And can we solve that problem? And if we can solve it, what is the way out? Is it about rewriting certain stories, telling a better story? Is it about creating new stories? And if we create new stories, who is the one that should create a new story and so on? Now, I set the deliverable of that project to be to create a story, either by retelling it or by creating a new story. Of course, that's one possible deliverable, uh, probably not the best But for year one students, I think it is better if you give them a sense of where they are heading. So the deliverable was clear there. So create a story or retell an existing story. Um, uh, Right now we are working with folktales. So can we produce a folktale? Is it possible for an individual or a group of individuals to produce a folktale? So it's it's really the same project, but it's changing, you know, changing phase every year. Uh, we also did it with gender. So uh, typically we have very stereotypical children's studies. Can we write studies that are not so stereotypical, especially in terms of gender? So you've got the problem and then the deliverable in this uh, case is a given, right? Now in year two, a project that we taught together with Ferdinand is called Narratives in Conflict. And the idea is that uh, if you think of conflicts out out there, let's take political conflicts as an example, they are typically uh, born and propagated by uh, conflicting master narratives. Yeah. So if you take a conflict and you ask, for example, Greeks, give us your version of history and ask Turks, give us your version of history, they will give you two very different versions, but they are mirroring each other. Yeah. So two different narratives. And then what we asked students to do was uh, to identify uh, the master narratives, uh, but then see whether people who are in these conflicts fully identify with the master narrative or whether their personal narratives are actually slightly different, slightly more nuanced. 
And then the direction we gave them is, okay, identify the master narratives, put them in the background, and then interview people about the conflict and bring their stories in the forefront. And then the way they present it is entirely up to them. So there is much more freedom. So, for example, one deliverable we got there was uh, a magazine with students presenting the master narrative or attributing the master narrative with uh, pictures, with symbols. Their case study was Eastern Germany. The master narrative was that everything was bad uh, in Eastern Germany. And then they interviewed people who lived uh, in that regime. So in their magazine, they had the background being, you know, these bad images of Eastern Germany. And then in the forefront were the stories of people who were telling either a very consistent story, yes, everything was bad, or a very different story, right? But the unique thing uh, was that they, um, they conveyed these stories with poetry. So they translated, so you know, they interviewed people, and that they had their transcripts, and then they tried to convey what they said with poetry. And that was beautiful, but we didn't tell them write poetry, right? So this was their way of presenting personal narratives against the backdrop of master narratives. And an example of year three project, I mean, students in year three, they are entirely free to do whatever they want. A project I really like was uh, done in Ghana, actually. We got them some funding and then they went there. And they were trying to tell the story of uh, the fairer side of chocolate. So they put together a group from very different disciplines. So communications, economics, political sciences, psychology, and so on. They went to Ghana. They interviewed people in the cocoa industry and they took a lot of footage and they put it together in a documentary, entirely their idea. I was just there to help them get the funding really. And that was all. So um, these were year, year three students. How do the students tell you that they get their ideas? Do they tell you where they get their inspiration for the formats of their projects for what they want to do? Does it come from their personal experiences? Does it come from inspiration from previous years, from people around them, from? It's probably a mixture of things. So if we go back to uh, the, uh, the students who produce poetry, uh, so this was a pair working together and the guy was just very interested in photography uh, and the girl was just <laughs> very good in everything, but she was also writing poetry. So they put their skills together. So and produce a deliverable um, where they can they could put their skills to a good use, basically. So in that case, it was a decision produced by, you know, what they were good at, essentially. But not always. So, yes, Ferdinand, yeah, do you know? I mean, yeah, that, those two, which is a wonderful project, um, one of many. Uh, that's an example of what I meant by continuous with experience, right? So not just, oh, we, I have skills in video editing, let's do that because it's easier, but reaching a point where this is how we have to do it, right? With, it has to be done this way. Because it's us. Because it's yeah. us. Yeah. And that, that is really bringing themselves to the point, which I think part of the reason that that happens in our in UCG projects. And I mean, it often does happen and they're set up that way 
is because they're always problem-based. So another, another factor, another characteristic of a UCG project is it always begins with a complex problem. By complex, we, uh, we uh, mean a problem that has multiple causes, no easy solution, and something must be done. Interpret that any way you like, but a problem that has multiple causes, no easy solution, and something must be done, it, we insist on that at the beginning. So um, from the start, there's a sense in, in an 18, 19, 20-year-old of, well, this, this can't be done. That's where you start, right there. Because the first thing you reach for is, well, what knowledge is out there? Well, the other learning line has trained them to do you know, scholarly research, right? To how to use the library, how to, how to read a paper, that kind of thing. So they begin to see what's out there and learn what's out there and then pursue the problem to the point where they create a new problem. Once they've defined what they want to do at the end of the project, new problems emerge. And the only way to solve it in their case was to tell the story, this really complex story, using video and poetry. I would say I see that in every good project, that um, we always start with a problem, but students define a new problem as they go along. Yeah, there are many problems on the way, yeah. <laughs> really. I mean, in that case, you know, we have a bunch of studies. How do we tell them? How do we tell them in a way that does justice to these studies as well? So in that case, they wrote poetry and they sent it back to the people and then the people locate, uh, you know, the content of the poetry. But it was beautiful. Now that we have a better idea of projects and project-based learning, and I think for myself, it's been really nice to just hear what life is like as a student at the uh, University College Groningen. I actually have a question for you, Tassos, because I think it's good to maybe link it back to where we are coming from. You know, I, I recognize that probably a good proportion of our listeners are coming from the Faculty of Behavioral Sciences at the University of Groningen. How does the teaching that you and the style that you've just heard um, Ferdinand and Maria describe differ from the one at the Faculty of Behavioral Sciences? You're, you yourself, you also have your own experience of trying to implement project-based learning in this environment, perhaps you could also discuss maybe your own experiences. Yeah, uh, I've been thinking about these questions also while Maria and Ferdinand were giving us their examples. So in our faculty, the, um, what you described as uh, these three pillars, we primarily focus on two, I would say. There are other pillars, but the primary ones are the development of academic skills, very much uh, academic development. And then there's all what Ferdinand, I think, called, you know, or actually, no, it was Maria that called normal courses, the knowledge-based yeah. courses where you are told stuff. Um, the projects that we do in the faculty largely um, relate to academic projects again. So maybe small-scale research projects or larger-scale research projects, but they're the deliverables are always some kind of academic product, some kind of uh, research paper, some kind of essay, some kind of literature review. Um, and there are a smaller minority of courses in the faculty, depending, of course, on the program, psychology, teacher education, etc., um, that might have more of 
a project flavor and less of an academic um, academic course flavor. From my perspective, um, I, I miss this kind of approach. I miss this kind of um, uh, project-based approach. Um, I miss the uh, opportunity to work on people's experiences and accentuate these experiences and make use of these experiences and the skills that they've built. Um, and um, I, as Colm says, I have um, I have been for the last few years been trying to uh, implement a sort of baby version of these this kind of project um, in the in a small course that I teach in the third year with with mixed experiences and I think mixed experiences from everybody involved the students also I speak to them as much as I I have the opportunity and I know f- that they face a lot of challenges in trying to retrain their 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 heads and their 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 bodies and their souls to this kind of deliverable. Um, I know that uh, one of the questions that I had when I was listening to you was, my God, how do these people deal with so much freedom and so much uncertainty? They must go nuts. Um, because it's, I know it's one of the challenges that I always have to, um, uh, so these are my projects are in the third year. And I sort of, I'm in this both enviable and not very enviable position of uh, having students who are, uh, academically very experienced, but in terms of projects, very inexperienced. So in that sense, um, the the kind of um, learning objectives that I have for them kind of mirror both the first year and the third year objectives that you, you talked about, Maria, in which I want them to develop uh, group working skills, communication, project management skills mm-hmm. as, as a start, but also to get out of their comfort zones. And these are uh, individuals who are going to be essentially doing projects for the rest of their lives, right? I feel I feel that yeah. all of life and all of work and all of everything is basically some kind of project with a multitude of, of causes, a multitude of forces that inform it and um, no clear or single solutions, a multitude of possible solutions and approaches. And it's this discomfort with this freedom and this openness that I'm trying to, to, to help them be more used to, uh, or be be more comfortable with. Um, but I find it challenging for myself to find the right balance between um, clarity of you know this is the kind of deliverable that I want, and freedom where I don't box them in uh, with certain preconceptions. And I fear that um, uh, I don't do it very well in the sense that a lot of the deliverables that I've seen in the last few years tend to be uh, very similar to one another, very academic. And I think this is both uh, because the students are products of a particular type of education, but also because I'm a product of a particular type of education and a sort of instrument of a particular kind of education. So I think I I do a disservice to this. Uh, Don't sell yourself short. Uh, one of the, uh, I haven't seen, seen your projects, but uh, you know, one of the qualities in a good project supervisor is that you give a damn, and clearly you do, Tassos. Um, you know, and and uh, it's hard to overestimate how important that is when you're operating in conditions of uncertainty. You introduced the word uncertainty, so we don't have to, but it's very much at the core of what a UCG project is. Uh, if I can go back to that original uh, definition of a uh, of a complex problem. Mm-hmm. 
a problem that has multiple causes, no easy solution. Uh, you know, these, the almost by definition there, uh, you will be dealing with uncertainty. So the question of how do we get students to be creative, which is something else that you'll see in UCG projects, um, the problem is where it starts and also kind of where it ends, keeping the problem alive. So a student is going to, as a student, I'm going to begin a, a class going, okay, what's the problem they present me here? And this book that they've given me has all the answers in it. Great, done. A project has no book. But boy, has it got a problem. We're in effect writing a book, right? Which is the experience-based approach. We're making that happen. But that requires staying in not knowing for, in our case, 16 weeks, just not knowing. And the, the quality work comes when those students and supervisors who are able to push knowing as far to the end of the 16 weeks as possible. Well, we already know. We already know. No, we don't. We don't. Let's keep, let's hang in there. Keep going. Keep not knowing. Go further. When you finally make it, uh, another thing that a UCG project always has is we always make a recommendation. So when you make a real world recommendation based on your 16 weeks of learning, you have to say, I know something and I'm making my recommendation based on that. But you also know what you don't know. And you bring that into your recommendation as well. Look, here's what we can't say. And that's the beginning of good thinking and, and um, good scholarship and just being effective in the world, I think. Yeah. Yeah. For example, one project we did with Ferdinand uh, uh, was on uh, students had to create a documentary about a human right defender that UCG was hosting. I mean. You could say it's pretty straightforward, you know, you follow someone and, you know, you document their lives. And I mean, there would be people that think it's straightforward, right? And in fact, uh, when people start thinking about it, you could say, okay, let's do it. It's easy. But the more, you know, the more they were trying to do it, the more in the un I don't know zone they were. And I think what Ferdinand is really good at is that he's very uh, patient with uh, these, uh, with letting students being at the I do not know zone, I'm totally lost zone for quite a while, because that can be a very creative zone at the end of the day. Because the more you don't know, the more you realize that you really don't know, the more you really want to search for answers. But I think what is really important is that, um, you know, students as well as teachers take it very seriously. So these students at the end of the day, I mean, they had their human rights defender there who really wanted a documentary. And then they were in the I don't know zone. But they had, you know, they had um, a deadline. And I think the deadline is very, very important. And at UCG, the deadline comes with a project presentation day as well. So they don't show their deliverable just to the teacher, but to the world. 
And then the sense of urgency is there. And I think that sense of urgency, you're very good at cultivating that too, Ferdinand. That sense of urgency is really, really crucial for a project. Because else, you know, if you realize how much you don't know, you can also give up. One of the first projects I did um, was a second year project, um, a project with second year students in our first year. We, uh, Maria and I started at the same time. Um, this project had the kind of anonymous title of something like the neighborhood project or something like that. All we knew going in was I had met someone, uh, a policy advisor from the mayor's office, the Gemeente's, the Burgemeester's office here in Groningen. And um, she was an advisor on uh, neighborhood security. And she um, had some very serious questions about one of the neighborhoods in Groningen where uh, old uh, white Dutch statures uh, lived. And there was also a new and emerging Muslim population. And there was um, not just graffiti, but there was even, uh, you know, some violence uh, occurring. And it was, there was, there was tension. And, I, you know, she brought that problem to us and said, can you guys, I don't know, help? Well, we can't solve a problem like that. And I would never put that on 20-year-olds ever. But we can help you work through it. And what we did for 16 weeks was define the problem in the first maybe four weeks. Like, what's the problem? You just have to work, stay with it. And then they te then you're in the field gathering data, learning about the problem every week. Uh, then there, you know, they would encounter something in that neighborhood because projects often take students into the world, the real world. Um, for that confrontation, almost every week, they came back to school going, oh, we got to start over. Oh, okay. And the, the instructor's job is to be that anchor. Well, okay. It's okay. Let's go. Let's keep going. You know, and w when they made their final, I mean, their first presentation was at the Gemeente House on the, on the Grotemarkt. You know, there was that enormous fireplace and there were people from the mayor's office sitting there and the students, like all their hair was standing straight up. It was this intense moment. And they presented, they did the best they could and uh, they did a great job. Then we did our UCG final presentation and the mayor's people came to UCG. And what they said at the end, uh, so proud of this moment, so proud of the students, she stood up and she said, I never would have thought of the problem that way. And that um, is what a project can deliver. I never would have. Could it deliver the perfect solar car? Sure. Why not? But the idea behind that perfect solar car, that's what we're really delivering. That's what the student is struggling with. And if they don't, they've missed the point. It really is keeping that struggle alive. What um, the English poet John Keats called negative capability, the ability of the poet to just hang with it. I don't know what this is. I'm just going to stay here, stay here, stay here, stay here, stay here. And then what the teacher needs to do is, uh, you know, to try to prevent as much as possible this need to get it right. Because I think we all want to get it right, to get a good grade, right? But the project is not about getting it right. 
It's, it's about, about going through the experience. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Do the students see value in this? Do you often have um, tension in the middle of the, the semester? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Middle? <laughs> Beginning? You, you said, you keep saying it. You keep doing our job for us, Tassos. Um, um, once again, you said uh, uh, tension. And uh, I, 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 I want to talk about the famous midpoint revolution. Uh, a good project, a good UCG project, has this moment where the students in one form or another kind of come up to you and like a little troop of them will come over and they'll say, if we need to take charge, we thank you for your help, but we need to run this. And we as instructors say, well, you know, if that's what you want to do, okay. But that's the moment when you know you the project's going to be okay. That's, that's what has to happen. And it only happens. Um, there has to be enough structure for students begin to see the problem. And the instructor just keeps that structure in place. And you keep adapting it as the problem develops. And as creativity starts to happen, creativity is problem solving. In this, in a project, you can equate them. Creativity and problem solving. When real creativity starts to happen... The job is not to, we did it. Nope. Keep going back to, the, okay, let's go back to the problem. And the, it gets more and more creative. And when people get creative, truly in touch with what they can do, everybody's just got to get out of the way. And when you've got a group of 20, 21, 22, 23 year olds coming up and saying, we're teaching now, what do you do? It's perfect. That's exactly what you want. And the solutions they'll come up with are so much better than anything we can do. We have an idea at the beginning of the project. Um, you know, when I was sort of first, I had the privilege of sort of making the first model for what a UCG project was going to be. And part of it, um, the requirement for the instructor is you have to have in mind what the final deliverable would look like if the whole thing fell apart and you could just tell them what to do. But that will never happen and can never happen. Students need to take over and make it their own. But you have to like have a picture to give them on the first day. But that's kind of the last time. Then it's about pushing them forward, pushing them forward. And then it starts to happen. And one of them gets it. And then another one goes, oh, I want that. I'm, I'm glad that we talked a bit about and we introduced um, explicitly teachers and students and their experiences in engaging in project-based learning. And it was something that when Tassos and I were planning for this conversation, we actually wanted to really explicitly frame the conversation in the interests of, of these two stakeholders. And so maybe for the last bit of this podcast, we can kind of discuss the rather the why and the how of project-based learning as a, as a student and as, as someone that also went through project-based learning in a past degree, I can already inform myself about the why, you know, we're trying to build skills within students, also within teachers. I, I can imagine maybe, maybe you guys from a teacher's perspective can talk about your experiences with that, but there are certain skills that we're trying to cultivate. What, what, what kind of skills are really 
uh, we trying to cultivate in students or in teachers? So I think a huge skill, it's uh, reflection, being reflective. Because there are so many things that, uh, well, as we discussed before, can go wrong. And so there are so many potential lessons to be learned, but without, you know, very thorough, deep, insightful reflection, then these are missed opportunities. But then, uh, I mean, you could ask a student about reflection. I mean, our students both hate and love them, actually. Um, but I think it is a skill, so it has to be trained. Do you give prompts on how to reflect? Oh, Do you yeah. give structure? Training. Yes. Training. Um, so a new approach uh, that we have trying to develop is to actually teach them first how to reflect before asking for a reflection. So there is a project that is, uh, sorry, a, a workshop that is taught to all year one students. And it's about them creating an artifact that describes an experience for example, a challenge. And then we ask for the same kind of um, process in the reflection of your own projects. For example, the prompt is, can you come up with an artifact that best uh, describes um, a very challenging experience uh, that you went through in this uh, project? And... So the artifact can be anything. So in a sense, we are asking them to use arts, uh, symbolism, to start thinking about a challenging experience and use this artifact as their vehicle to reflect, basically. Um, so this is one way in which we are trying uh, to help them reflect. Another way is via prompts you know, very concrete prompts. But this artifact approach has been working well for us uh, this year. Maybe Ferdinand, it's new to you, but maybe no, you have other... I, I know you've used diaries. Uh, you've used diaries a lot. Yeah, For sure. Maybe you yeah, can yeah. talk about that. Well, reflecting is is very much a part of it because, uh, you know, grading a project is is a tricky thing. It's mm -hmm. not like you're everybody's turning in a paper at the same time and it's... Um, the target is always moving in a project. So it's it reflection is part of it because reflections are so qualitative and so subjective and individual. Um, but I would say that creativity is, as I was saying a second ago, creativity is essential to project-based learning. It's part of the point is, is to experience creativity, not, hey, how do I how do I become creative? But to feel it in your in your bones goodness, that was, I never thought that before, that when a student experiences that, they have a kind of, um, you know, a jolt of inspiration. And part of that, uh, speaking also as an artist, find, touching that inspiration happens in a reflective space. You have to kind of open that space up inside yourself, not necessarily aware of it all the time, you just kind of have to have it. And uh, then when a problem comes up and frustrations come up and all the terrible things come up when you're working on a project, that space is still open and in there. And that's where real creativity happens, real problem solving happens. So, yes, yeah. it is a skill. Another 
quite obvious skill is to be able to work uh, in a team. So once again, just because we do see them as skills that have to be trained, uh, year one students take another workshop in the beginning of their first year, which is about uh, project management. Uh, and then there is a third mandatory workshop that all students need to take uh, pertaining to a third skill that is actually very hard to <laughs> pinpoint, which is actually about being comfortable with uh, differences. So that's a workshop that I teach actually. Uh, and um, it's really the workshop uh, itself uh, creates a space where differences come to surface and uh, students talk about them. Uh, so, for example, differences in political beliefs, differences in values, uh, differences in epistemology even. I mean, all these differences, right? So instead of hashing them, instead of, uh, you know, uh, finding an obviously right answer, talking about them. Uh, to give you a very, uh, you know, small excerpt from the workshop, one of the, in one of the exercises, I ask students to agree or disagree with certain controversial statements. So one of the statements is, would you become uh, very good friends with an openly racist person? And then I say, you know, I don't care about your answer. I care about the story leading you to that answer, you know, because students, people have different experiences, you know, so someone may be very willing to talk and you know, get to know an openly racist person because of their experiences, or someone may not be interested at all in doing that because of different experiences. So it's a place where experiences can come to surface, opinions come to surface, but they are not discussed in terms of how good or how right or wrong an opinion is, but on what has led to that opinion. So being comfortable with, uh, you know, uh, differences, uh, is another well, skill that we I have are always to... been proud that we teach that we train our students to do that, and that that uh, that workshop is. Um, I, I I think of that as one of the jewels at UC of UCGs. It's really great that we train our students right from the start. You know, to deal with difference and not just well, uh, cultural competency, which is a useful term and a useful concept and an important thing for young people to know. But difference is a much bigger notion. Mm. The way you've described it is just great. It's great, really beautiful. Um, real world application, whatever that means, but it always comes up. Why do projects? Real world. We want them to know how to work in the real world. Whatever that is. I'll tell you what I think I mean by that. Um, knowledge always happens in a social context. We know things in a social context, always. We, we investigate things in a social context. Um, there's always a s social connection to anything we know. Um, knowledge doesn't exist in a vacuum. But when you're 18 and you're coming out of high school, it does. It, knowledge is in books and in the brains of smart people who stand behind lecterns. And somewhere in the heavens, there's knowledge written down on golden tablets and somehow they're going to get it into us. But uh, the real world is about bringing what's out there right through what you already have. Now, I'll give you an example of a project that I, I do a project 
often called arts and health. The first time I did it, um, arts and health is about um, how the, what the how the arts can contribute to well-being, particularly in clinical settings. And I've I've been an um, artist in residence in a hospital for many years, and um, it's that's a lot of the work that I love to do. And um, so this is what the students were taking on. The project, the deliverable we did was um, to make a project in collaboration with the geriatric uh, department at uh, the university hospital. Um, uh, what they ended up making was a photo exhibit, uh, and I, I would say professional quality, um, uh, a photo exhibit, they made it in collaboration with the staff, the medical staff. Um, uh, the photos are now in the permanent collection of the hospital. Um, I'm working backwards now from the final deliverable. There was an opening. Uh, the head of the College of Medicine was there. The nurses and staff friend, uh, uh, from that unit were there. Uh, the hospital community celebrated that moment. Uh, in order to get to this experience, the students had to learn photography. So I brought in a professional photographer who trained them to make pictures. And I said, you got to do this first. And we did it at UCG. Make a project that engages the community and, um, and make photos that help people reflect on their own experience of being in this community. So that when we get to the hospital, which is a really complicated thing to do, bringing students into a hospital, really complicated, much less asking them to work, follow nurses around, right? I mean, this is, so we have to get, we got them ready for it. They practiced, they did a photo exhibit at UCG, invited the public to come, you know, serve cookies and a little wine. And then we began to work with the nurses and doctors at the hospital. At the same time, they're using academic knowledge about medicine, about arts and health to um, study the question of burnout. Why do nurses burn out? Why do medical staff burn out? What is it about burnout um, that well, the arts maybe could make a contribution to? And part of what they learned in those first few weeks was just uh, a lack of meaning in your work wears you down in ways that you can't anticipate. And then, I mean, the, I know the research in, in this field, so I, I just know you reach a point where there's a crisis and every life has crises in it. Some crises comes and you're so worn down that it just tips you over the edge. And this happens in medicine to medical staff all the time. Now, students can learn that in the abstract. They can learn that from the tablet of gold floating in the sky or the lecturer behind the lectern. Nothing wrong with that. But to actually be able, in realistic terms, to sit with a, a nurse and say, how you doing? Um, <laughs> when you're done with work, uh, how do you relax? What happens when a patient dies? What do you do with that? What do you do with your fears of showing up to work in the morning? How do you think about that, right? How do you... Um, make yourself feel well and whole. And these are 20 year olds having to deal with these problems and then translate that to photography, right? Working with the staff. Um, I would call that real world application. 
up until week 15, I would say every single one of those students had no idea what they were doing. They were so busy doing it. We had hospital staff drilling holes in the walls in the gallery. We had, we, you know, served bitter bowl and, and there was a lot of stuff going on. In week 16, when we opened that show, and I mean, the students couldn't believe, first off, who showed up, right? The, I mean, people really cared about this project and still care about it. And it sort of, after the project, they all agreed, we never expected this. I didn't either. I never know what's going to happen. I mean, you, you never kind of know what's going to happen. I heard Maria say earlier, these two students of ours produced this remarkable document uh, the, uh, with the uh, photographs and poetry. You see that kind of thing all the time. There's no way you can anticipate that. But it's a matter of keeping that structure in place and being connected to the real world in that real world context. I know we'll just write a paper or we'll just say, hey, you know what you need to know about burnout? That doesn't work when you actually have to look people in the eyes and say, I I'm trying to understand your situation. That's the real world context that projects are good at. Is project based learning for any student? Yes, I would say. Any student can benefit from it. Is it for any teacher? No. No. Keeping in mind that most of us in our training are not trained to do project-based work. So what? We're just going to take a faculty member who's trained as a lecturer and stand them up in a project and say, hey, what has to happen is there has to be a, there has to be a culture. Um, I was in those early days required to write manual after manual about how to do this. None of it can, it's not a silver bullet. Um, Project-based learning happens experientially, as Maria says. And of course, there are guidelines and wisdom and experience that are useful. But if the, if the teacher doesn't want to be there, good Lord, they shouldn't be there. Yeah, I very much agree. And so consequently, if the, if the faculty, if the administration doesn't want this work to actually happen, don't do it. If it's not supported, uh, don't do it uh, on a large scale. Uh, as an individual faculty member, Tassos, of course, I mean, you're being creative, you're doing what you do. And of course, you should do small scale projects and experiment and play. And so should students. If, if a faculty wanted to institute uh, project-based learning, it would need the support of the administration. So I think we've we've gotten, all of us, um, at least Tiffany Tassas and I have gotten a better idea of project-based learning. And I hope also that our listeners have been able to get a better idea. And, and I can imagine for myself as a student, it's, this conversation really sparked something inside me. Almost, I think a, I had the feeling of a lost opportunity because something like this has been really missing from my education over the last three years here in Cronion. But I can imagine for our listeners that something similar might have been sparked in them, whether you're a teacher or a student, but maybe we can hover there on the teacher part. Is there any, a teacher that might be listening to this might, might have great motivation now for project-based learning. Is there any resources that we can provide to uh, such a teacher in this moment shortly? Find other people who are doing it and talk to each other every week find support from other 
people, like-minded people. Super important. We have, we're privileged to have a culture of project-based learning at UCG. And we all work together in that context. And it makes all the difference in the world. I second that. It cannot be scripted. Really, I mean, I mean, it's not that I have Ferdinand's experiences with projects, but after six years of teaching them, I learn something new every year. Oh, you do. And I, <laughs> I mess up in a new way every year as well. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the thing that helped me the most was working with other people to develop a project and simply talking to people about the project. It's... I, I really don't know for different research than people. I would add we all our projects have two faculty members. Yeah. Everyone. And we share the time together. The teaching time is split between us. And it works best when you have, I think, when you have both people in the room. Yeah. You know? And two very different people, preferably. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah. They don't need to be the same. My favorite kind of project day is the toward the end when I'm just sitting in a room, whatever the project room is, and students just come in periodically if they need something. Maria and I will just be sitting there chatting or drinking coffee. Students will come in, chat. Uh, they need something. They want to show us something. They want to talk about it. And then they go away. Maybe some others come in. Love that. Um, how? I don't know how you would script that. Yeah. I don't know. It's a feeling. I can't think of a better way to uh, end this podcast except for these words from you and um, to also give you our uh, our gratitude. I've really enjoyed talking with you in the last uh, hour. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, likewise. Likewise, it's been, been exciting to hear about your stories, to come, yeah, for, for, for someone that wasn't so familiar with the going-ons of the UCG. Yeah. I am very excited to hear about it and hopefully I can continue to hear about such amazing projects and something beautiful can be can can be built going forward for faculties outside of the UCG in this method because I, I, I as a student I can only imagine that it's just so valuable for our education and yeah I would I would second Tassos and our gratitude. Pleasure to be with you. Thanks. This podcast was a production of the University of Groningen.